For last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts, in Britain, America, and Germany. Matthew, Marissa, Rob, Bob, John, and Martin. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah baby. baby. T.S. Elliot. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, right, this is a special end-of-year episode, and I'm joined by several Spudcats. Well, five of them, in fact. So I will get them to introduce themselves, starting with the American in the top left-hand screen of my Zoom. John Bennock, Texas. John Bennock from Texas. Rob Annabel from Wolverhampton. Ah, what a classic Midland it, town. Marissa Davis from London. Another town I once called home. Bob. Bob Hodges from Cheltenham. Dr. Bob, everyone. And last but not least, the German. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm Malte Kiesling, and uh, you already said I'm from Germany. What am I supposed to say now? How about the town? Oh, yeah, yeah whereabouts in Germany? Yeah, uh, Braunschweig is, is the place. Is there a oh. sausage from there? <laughs> uh, yes. Down to be. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, I think there, there is a sausage from every place in Germany. Okay. <laughs> right. So here to kick it off, I've decided to have a little quiz for you. Who do you think won? What nation won? The most amount of launches this year. Was it China, Russia, or America? Ooh. I think it was America again this year. It was yeah, China. I, I think it's the US, but I'd have no idea how many. I was going to say China, but I'm usually wrong <laughs> on these quizzes, so that's you. Starlink. Yeah, Starlink definitely pushed the US into the lead. So although China have probably got a couple more up their sleeve this year, it is US 44 and China 38. Hmm, quite close. Quite close. But how many of those American launches do you think were SpaceX Falcon 9? 30-something. Yeah, 35. Close. It was actually 25. Okay. But that does beat their own record and far outstrips everyone else. It's a very big year for SpaceX. That's a launch every two weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of launching. And nothing got dropped on a village on the way past. <laughs> Which is why, of course, Elon Musk won our Space Personality of the Year and Falcon 9 won the best rocket of the year, I suppose. Uh, do we have to drink now? Yes, we do have to yeah. drink. Elon Musk, drink! I don't think my glass is big enough for the amount of time we're going to mention. <laughs> right, so does anyone remember what happened in January? That was when we could still go down the pub. Yeah, that seems <laughs> extraordinary, doesn't it? Yeah, we just started to hear the news of COVID-19. Mm. I think the funniest story from January is Yasuka <laughs> Mazawa and him having to row back from his um, reality TV programme where he was going to take his latest date on a trip around the moon. And yeah, that was it, it was a little bit creepy, wasn't it? Is that, is that, is that mission still on the cards the, the, with the artists and the trip around the moon? Is that still...? Yeah, yeah. I believe it is. I haven't heard to the contrary. I don't think he's got his money back. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he's going to get his money back either. February also saw the MEV Mission Extension Vehicle 1, uh, which I thought was a really exciting mission. And what it did is it went out and it grabbed a big, massive satellite from a graveyard orbit and put it back into geostationary orbit to extend its life by another five years, which I think is a huge thing, this on-orbit servicing of satellites. I think that is a pretty major event, uh, probably a little bit overlooked this year, but yeah, that was really, really cool. But also there was a uh, Falcon 9 booked to take Psyche 
on its mission. And uh, to tell us about Psyche, we've got Dr. Bob. Well, it is. I've got a really, real soft spot for Psyche as a, as a planetary body anyway. So it's uh, it's a pretty big main sequence asteroid. It's probably at 1% of the mass of the, the whole of the asteroid belt itself. And it's by far the biggest metallic asteroid there is. So possibly also the uh, the source of the mesosiderite um meteorites that we find on Earth, which are really rare. But this Falcon Heavy launch is going to fire this um, this probe that's being built at JPL. It's, a, it's an ion electric drive probe that will take three and a half years to get there, having been launched in August 2022. And the thing for me here is this thing is going to be thrusting 80% of the time, and it's got these ion drives which apply the same thrust as the weight of three US quarter coins. <laughs> which uh, is quite cool. And that's after it's had a, a gravity assist after flying back past Earth and past Mars as well. So it will get there and it's going to spend 21 months looking at this amazing body, which is what we think that the, the, the extinct core of a, of a failed protoplanet, which could have been in its up to between 500 kilometres diameter and up to the size of Mars, some people say. But what's left is the metallic core. So this thing originally was big enough for the heavy elements to settle to the middle and to differentiate. So it's an awful lot of iron and an awful lot of nickel at the very least. And it came back into the news in October because the, a Hubble study, um, which was reported by uh, and led by uh, Tracy Beaker from uh, Tracy Be- <laughs> Tracy Becker, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Tracy Beaker. <laughs> <laughs> Tell I've got kids. Uh, so, yeah, from the Southwest uh, Research Institute in San Antonio. So they they they, they put some uh, they put their their study out there looking at the UV absorption wavelengths and spectrum of um, of this body, and they they conclude that it could be anywhere on the surface between pure iron and ten percent iron. And then then did a bit more conjecture, but it basically came up and said more more work is needed because there are no there are no analogs. There is nothing else like this. To calibrate their readings with and of course then the press then went into overdrive and I can't work out who actually first put this out there but apparently the metal in this thing would then be worth 10,000 quadrillion dollars more than the entire economy of the earth so that's that's the clickbait <laughs> and it's just, it's just insane how do you get there from there yeah. um so that that really quite amused me about how they were completely missing the point this thing possibly holds the key to planetary formation and, our, and a greater knowledge of how solar systems evolve. But no, it's worth $10,000 trillion. Even if you- <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I, I, I can't help feeling if you, dra- if you did find a way of dragging it back to Earth, you'd kind of ruin that economy, Absolutely. right? Of just- Supply and demand. <laughs> You've just completely dropped the bottom out of the market. Right. Plus, if you cock your maths up, that's an extinction-level event. <laughs> and some someone ought to uh, uh calculate the economic value of the black hole at the center of the galaxy <laughs> and write a news article about it <laughs> what is the economic value of sagittarius a star i don't know a million quadrillion dollars uh, yeah. just in scariness yeah. in the amount of horror movies you can make from it well, they're, they're talking about weights you know in to- total mass for, for psyche you know with something times 10 to the 19 or 20 so I think it's to the 19, which is fairly large, but that's yeah. probably the times 10 to 19 times 10 to the 19 for Sagittarius A. Uh, presumably, they, all they did was just get the uh, market's, market value of steel and multiply it by the mass of, yeah. <laughs> by the mass of psyche, which is simple. terribly uh, economically correct. Well, some of them are even to... saying that NASA has just discovered NASA discovers asteroid worth ten thousand quadrillion. This thing was you know, discovered in uh, in eighteen fifty two by an Italian yep. called Annibale de Gasparis. You know, <laughs> minor planet discovered. Yeah, we. I, I. I kind of want to have a podcast just purely about how the press report on space. Even the Elon Musk, which we'll get to. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the belly flop, but. Virtually all the sort of main press went with Elon Musk's rocket <laughs> ends ends in fireball. Nobody was aboard. It's like, yeah, completely missing the whole point. <laughs> it was fabulous. It was absolutely genius. Yeah, I'm I'm super super excited about Psyche as well. I think I think I think Psyche is one of the one of the best missions 
that NASA's got on their kind of list of, in fact, what level mission is it? It's a it's discovery class. Discovery class, yeah. I mean, it's 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 such a good mission because you're right. It, it will be one of those ones that tells us loads about planetary formation. So that's a super exciting one. And so I'm just pleased to hear that that eighty percent thrust doesn't require fuel tanks the size of the observable universe. I'm I'm still I'm still cross about getting that question one last time I got to you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the good odd ion proportion. Ion proportion for you, yeah, fantastic. A lot of bang for your buck, but not much thrust. Well, the Dawn mission, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago, had the thrust of a weight of paper. So a couple of quarters is a big increase. Yeah, this is yeah. This yeah, is effectively is the follow up to uh, to Dawn, which was the follow up to Deep Space One. So this would be the third planetary probe, uh, probe with this with this propulsion system. Maybe it was Deep Space One that was the piece of paper. Yeah. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think I think Dawn's were were, were super weedy in comparison, but they ch- didn't they change the the um, solar panel design as well on on the Psyche spacecraft, to, so they 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 found a way of getting it there quicker by actually having more power to the ion drives. Could be lighter weight as well. There's a really good blog by the propulsion engineers on this, and about the the margins that they're building into this for for safety as well so yeah, yeah. it's yeah. that's definitely one to follow um february was 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 rubbish though for losing space legends in february we lost uh Catherine johnson the uh hidden figure from nasa uh heather cooper who was massive in this country she was like a like a really big uh, like personality on the tv when it came to astronomy her pop-up and she, yeah. comet was one of my one of the things that got me into space in the first place yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah i remember that I, I i she genuinely was like a proper fixture in yeah when i was a not actually sort of teenager she was a proper fixture on on tv absolutely happy memories of all that generation are we to recall those tv appearances uh freeman dyson as well died in february as well pretty rubbish huh yeah. sn1 was being rolled out in Boca Chica. So this was the start of seeing um, uh, SN1 out there in, in Boca Chica. In fact, John, when, when, did, you, when, when did you go camping there? Uh, right after Serial Number 4 exploded. That's right, yeah. So that's, what was that, April, May, May, June? Uh, I think it was around May. It was hot and rainy. <laughs> <laughs> Still, that uh, yeah, yeah, so, that's incredible to think to realise that they've gone from SN one to eight and what they've achieved in that time scale. I'd time. forgotten that. I'd forgotten that was this year. Yeah, I know it's crazy. At the time, uh, Elon Musk was tweeting that SN three or four were going to go orbital. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll take it back. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, Christina Koch as well. She she set the world record. For women, 328 days in space, coming back on the 6th of February, 2020. And I um, can I put my dibs in there because I reckon she's going to be the first woman on the moon as well. So I'm I'm bagging her. Yeah, it's a good call. It's a very good call. That any any anyone anyone think of anyone more likely? Maybe uh, Yusaku's girlfriend <laughs> might be the first. Oh one. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let me out. <laughs> well. <laughs> There's only one place we can let you out. Well, I don't mind. <laughs> right. Uh, March, SETI at home was switched off. And the Franklin rover is delayed to because of COVID-19. And OneWeb also go into bankruptcy as a result of COVID-19 as well. And various other things. Um, April, launch of MS-16 to the space station. So that's Anatoly Ivanishin, Ivan Wagner and Christopher Cassidy. Uh, and they were the ones that sort of had to have their entire thing done under strict quarantine. So that was a pretty miserable, <laughs> must have been a pretty miserable launch. Uh, Dragon One flew its final mission and it was the return of the worm in April and the Bepi Colombo flyby of Earth and Hubble's 30th birthday. So there's loads happening in April. May, Tom Cruise said he's going to space. <laughs> China's long March 5B launched with the with their Orion on board. Tom Cruise going um, to space on long March would be better, wouldn't it? That'd be more interesting. Yeah, that would be. That'd be I think, you know, yeah. there'd be some mild peril there, maybe. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the birth of X-A12 Musk as well in yeah. May. And SpaceX Dragon 2 makes its first crewed flight to the International Space Station. And Marissa, you're going to take this one for us. Yes, yeah. Um, I think this is probably the most exciting space event for me personally this year, I guess, because for many different reasons. Obviously, I watched a lot of the coverage like everyone did. I think there was millions around the world watching, really. The idea that uh, NASA was working with SpaceX, so the fact that that a government agency was working with a private company for the first time and the launch was a success, I think was a really big step forward for everyone. And obviously because as well, it was the first time that NASA didn't rely on the Russian Soyuz to get astronauts to the ISS. A really big milestone. So It's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely huge. There's, there's a couple of things in there, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned the Soyuz, yep. which, of course, is just an R7 rocket from the from the mid-60s yep. or may, maybe even earlier, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's still being used. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and, and SpaceX Crew Dragon is and, and, and Falcon 9 is only mm-hmm. the 10th crewed orbital vehicle ever made. Yes. You know, yep. It's just incredible, really, that we've had 60 years of space of orbital space launch and 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 it's taken that long to get the 10th one but if, but it's the first commercial one which yes. is which is the big one isn't it really and and of course it's it's that man elon musk and spacex again yep, exactly yep yeah i have to admit i was, I was reviewing twitter myself the other day and uh, realized that i've done the cliched i'm not crying you're crying tweet at that at that launch <laughs> You know, and I'm and I'm normally I'm normally the sort of SpaceX miserablest, you know, not you know banging on about challenges and problems. But yeah, that was, you know, that was amazing. That launch was actually why I felt like going to Boca Chica was. I thought, what a cool place to watch it. And so that's when serial number four exploded. And when I came back from the camping trip, I watched it on a tablet. You know, right after leaving the SpaceX facilities. Yeah, it's really cool. Location. Yeah. But I think also, too, just um, obviously I, I was able to share the event with my family and friends back home in Australia. Obviously, they're about eight hours ahead of me at the time. But, um, but seeing close friends and family watching the event live and, and their young children watching it live, and I think it just sort of inspires a new generation, which I think is really important at the moment. Oh yeah, I I think it will be a sort of touchstone moment. Bob, what were you going to say? I was going to say I wouldn't get too down on Soyuz, considering that the Centaur upper stage is is almost as old, and that's been putting uh, American stuff into <laughs> for decades as well, and now human with the with the, with the Starliner. A good point. There's nothing wrong, I don't suppose, really, with 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 old stuff if it works, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> is the breeze m so i love it yeah exactly it's it's everyone's favorite space tug bob <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't be into space and not love your soyuz it's quite funny watching any tweet now by Rogozin if he mentions if he mentions spacex they seem utterly childish every single time yeah. it's just like <laughs> it's almost embarrassing yeah. almost trump almost trump like yes. yeah. no no offense john <laughs> oh please i'm offended that you think i would be offended <laughs> yeah, dimitri needs to put his big boy pants on too i think not just donald yeah, yeah. crikey june NASA uh, approved the reuse of boosters, so so they're so chuffed with SpaceX. They say, "Yep, yeah, it's fine for you to stick humans on top of reused boosters," which I didn't actually think would ever happen, but that's that's a thing. Yeah. Loads more Star Starlinks. Vega returned to flight, which uh, will have some bad news at the end. Other it, uh, uh, China completes their Beidou um, GPS type system. And UK and the US sign a technology agreement paving the way for the US to launch from UK soil. But this brings us to Rob and Sutherland Spaceport. Yeah. Yeah. So this this, this was a, a really interesting story for me. I thought I'd leave you guys to talk about uh, ion drives and crew dragon. And it, it, it seemed incumbent on, on me as the architect to, to mention the, the shed being put up in the, in the Highlands, um, hopefully later this year. Uh, so, uh, planning approval for the uh, Sutherland spaceport. Um, 
which is uh, apparently due for uh, construction during next year. And the current proposal, I understand it, is that there's going to be the first three launches uh, targeted for the end of 2022. Seems like a pretty crazy timescale. Um, but huge news that I was really engaged with and interested in, just on many levels, that, that, that here in the UK we could get to be taking part in the uh, the space sector, that there'd be opportunities for uh, enthusiasts like ourselves to maybe go and see a launch. Uh, seemed like a pretty big deal as well. Um, uh, lots of controversy around it, though, as well. And looking at it again uh, over the last couple of days, there's lots of discussion going on still um, about the future of that uh, proposal. And there's some, a competing proposal now for uh, location in the Shetland Islands. And uh, it's going to be up for judicial review, I've just seen. There's been an application made to call in that application for judicial, judicial review to look again at the planning approval. So, you know, um, worrying times maybe for some of the people involved in that, and uh, it, it, it could drag on a little, a little while. But the key thing about that as well is that it's a, a, a really important aspect of Orbex's proposal, which I think are a rocket company that we were all impressed with in your previous interviews, Matt. Uh, with that mm. company, so if, you know, from a rocket point of view, their work with the uh, the, the the biofuel, the propane, and three D printing is really interesting. And it seems like the controversy around the the, the spaceport is mostly about environmental issues. So there's a there's a it, there's a paradox here about how the mm. primary company proposing to use that launch pad um, really working hard. It seems to improve their environmental performance but there's still some question over the environmental impacts of a spaceport. Yeah, I mean, that that was one thing of looking over that proposal was just how much effort they'd gone into making the spaceport almost invisible yeah. in the in the surrounding environment. They have, they have visually. I, 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 you, you recall we t- talked about it at the time, but I, I'm a little <laughs> underwhelmed by the, uh, by the proposals. But I have to say, having looked at the, the, the Shetland ones today, I'm even more underwhelmed by those. They, they are literally just tin sheds on this island in Shetland. Uh, so from, from a strictly architectural point of view, more effort could be made, I'll be honest. You know, C minus. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the Southern proposal does seek to uh, to, to, to make a, a, a much reduced visual impact. But I think what's interesting mm. about these proposals when you look at them is it's worth keeping in mind, for me, the scale of these buildings and the impact as well. We call them a spaceport, but but it's it's not like we're proposing some new rebel base on Tatooine. This is two buildings in a concrete pad. <laughs> These are actually pretty small interventions in the landscape, and it's, it, I was surprised mm. to see the scale of the launch building and the scale of the uh, the, the building by the pad. It's, it's small interventions on in the landscape, it seems to me. But of course, it goes beyond that to questions about exclusion zones, about what happens to um, debris and uh, rocket fairings. Uh, after launch the environmental impact of it is a bit moot really because just up the coast there's a small rocky island just offshore the uh the ref lob 1000 pound aerial bombs at uh, hundreds of times a year and they have been doing for the last 60 years yeah. and the explosions and the and the, <laughs> the absolute noise from that is incredible well, there's, there's, there's arguments about the exclusion zone I can see that there's some debate over the size of the exclusion zone. I've seen some interesting comments about the amount of debris that would fall into the sea. There's, there's supposed to be 12 launches going from this thing. Um, only 12 now because it's only Orbex now. And that's part of the controversy that Lockheed Martin and we're going to be involved to begin with have now backed away from it and are backing the other spaceport proposal in Shetland. And uh, I've seen com- comments about how on these 12 launches, there's going to be potentially five tonnes of material dropped into the sea for every launch. Um, so, you know, this, this stuff is it's still complex and still under discussion. So, you know, it's concerning because some of this some of this progress might uh, might be hindered going forward. And there's lots of controversy you'll see online as well about the people involved in the judicial review. It's being headed up by uh, uh, one of the backers of the other spaceport. Um, so... Lots of controversy yeah. and debate going to go on around this. So I wonder, Matt, if there's a there's another return an interview with Orbex to be had. Yeah, no, there, there, there certainly is. There certainly is. I'd also quite like to get the the German ones because there's a little bit of me that now that's thinking if there is going to be one competitor in Europe, because you know after listening to Eric Berger, it, it, you kind of have to agree with him that that there's only really space for one more small yeah. sat launcher, really. Uh, if that, and yeah. and 
he seemed to be suggesting that it was highly likely to be these these new very competitive German companies that have succeeded in getting loads more money than Orbex have managed to get as well. So it'd be really interesting. I mean, yeah, it'd be great to speak to Orbex again. You know, Orbex were deeply worried about the the sort of very organised um, environmental movement against them. I do know that. <laughs> you know, they were they were they were concerned about it, uh, and you know, but it's it's we'll see, won't we? I mean, I guess it's one of those things that yeah, it just might be yet another missed opportunity down to something that may be right or may be wrong. You know, it's it's really hard one to call, isn't it? Because you want environmental protection, but you also want an economy. <laughs> Absolutely, it it doesn't seem clear in the press and the discussions at the minute about whether or not there's anybody clearly stating it's one or the other. Hmm. Both parties seem to be progressing on the idea that they can just do their own thing. Hmm. Uh, I think maybe the danger here is that you know that the, the German competition you mentioned might actually undo them both. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, they're busy arguing. Yeah, and I seem to remember Orbex aren't completely married to Scotland either. They can they can move. I think it was to Norway or or right. or somewhere you know even further north. Like Karuna. They are updating the S-Range Space Center in Sweden for orbital capability as well now. Yeah. I think it was announced in October or something. Though I, I have been wondering there as well, because uh, originally all the suborbital launches from, from S-Range dropped their stuff like still in Sweden. But if they are now going over Norway, I, I don't know how that will work out. I think I think that it's not just, you know, will it happen or won't it happen or should it happen or shouldn't happen, but what is the right way to do it? You know, if you're going to drop a ton of hydrazine on a fish farm, that's different from dropping a ton of aluminum, uh, you know, on like a, a ship graveyard or something like that, right? And, that, and that's Orbex's point, I think, with the, the work they're trying to do with their fuel. One, one worry out of this is that there was a point in early in the year where I think, um, you know, as Bobcats, there was discussion about seeing a launch. Now, if it goes to the Shetland Islands, it's going to be a lot further away. We can't rock up. And uh, get out the the uh, the deck chairs just so easily. Yeah. So on a personal level, that's 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 a real shame. I think. Yeah, and I think I mean I, I know you said Rob that I mean it's not um, UK spaceport possibly isn't huge news I guess in um, in the world scheme of the space industry, but but I know personally that um, it was one of the big drivers in my decision to actually change my career. Right. So um, and actually. Uh, and actually go back to study to try and work in the space industry because I think it's a really it'll be really really good for the UK. Yeah. Also, just as a layman, the other thing that that news brought to me was that I I knew nothing about sun synchronous or polar orbits until I saw that news article. My crude understanding of launches and orbits were always that you need to be on the equator. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so so that was really interesting. To, you know, as a layman trying to learn more about the sector, it was interesting to learn about those things that you can launch from that, that part of the globe. Yeah. Yeah, that that the, the the hard bit from from Scotland is the fact. Obviously, you've got to go over incredibly expensive oil fields. The last thing you want to do is dump a big mm. piece of aluminium on top of a, a an oil field. And and but also the second stage, there's a risk of it landing on Russian territory as well. All right. I so, think that's the I think that's the point the Shetland team are trying to make. Yeah. That the, the, their their flight path is clearer. Yeah, and uh, and and it is there's a, there's a dog leg manoeuvre that you have to do from Scot Scotland yeah, yeah. <laughs> always. They they, they, so. they cite that the, the Shetland team cite that in their uh, their objections to the uh, right. Southern one. Yeah, uh, yeah, it'd be inter- uh, It's definitely going to be very interesting how it pans out, and I think that there's an element of Brexit that that, that plays into this as well with the fact that the mm. UK clearly want to maintain their kind of place as a space country not just maintain it but sort of expand it so there there's there's an element of that but of course that doesn't affect whether it's sutherland or shetland i suppose yeah yeah all right well there you go there, yeah sports. it's it's a big one it's a big one um uh where are we we're in july so the uh, talking about the uk yes we take uh uk uh took a stake in one web <laughs> So half of us here are, are, are owners of a of a nice space constellation. That's very nice. <laughs> Comet Neowise. I'm, I'm going to say this was my favourite event of the year was Comet Neowise. Going out and seeing the comet was literally one of my favourite moments ever. 
actually. <laughs> like going, oh my God, that's actually it, was was absolutely incredible. Thomas Pesquet got his seat on Crew 2 for Mission Alpha. But the big three were the Mars missions all setting off at the end of July. We had Hope by um, the U uh, United Arab Emirates on a Japanese H2A. At the Chinese Tianwen uh, one mission to Mars on a Long March 5 and the Perseverance and Ingenuity helicopter on their way to Mars on, on an Atlas V, <laughs> lofted well, by that ancient old <laughs> upper stage. <laughs> uh, August is a horrible one, is uh, two horrible ones. Jamie's 200th episode, the last of the Spodcap episodes, which was great. and um, But Arecibo, Arecibo got its first cable snap in uh, August. And I don't, no one saw it as being collapsed by the end of the year at that point, did they? But it took another cable to snap later on for them to see that. It's a beautiful analogy for 2020, isn't it? Nobody saw it collapsing. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is the cable snapping is, oh, apparently they've got a virus out in China. <laughs> and it survived, survived the filming of Goldeneye. Yeah, you know, it survived Piers Brosnan swinging about on it. Is that connected to the SETI at home closure earlier? Didn't Arecibo provide much of the data for the SETI at home project, or have I got that completely wrong? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's loads of... So yeah, SETI at home closed, and then the dish gave up the ghost. Ooh. You're not trying to bung a conspiracy theory in there, are you? Uh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking of conspiracy theories, uh, September is um, a, a competition between Venus and Mars. We have life in the clouds of Venus with phosphine, and then they, like about a week later, Mars comes back with uh, bigger and deeper lakes than we first thought, and just under the surface. So that was pretty pretty cool. October, however is uh, the moon having a go. So, John, tell us a bit about <laughs> the moon. Yeah. Um, so the paper came out uh, in October titled Molecular Water Detected on the Sunlit Moon by Sophia. Um, so NASA and the German Space Agency had a joint project where they modified a 747 to have a big telescope in it. And... Um, the German Space Agency was responsible for the telescope itself, as well as many of the instruments. Uh, the mirror was made in Germany. It was grounded in France. The mirror housing was made in Switzerland. It was coated in Louisiana, and now it gets its recoding in California. So it's, it's a big international project. And they fly this telescope above most of the atmosphere so that they can measure infrared wavelengths, which otherwise get blocked by the atmosphere like water, right? So our atmosphere has a bunch of water in it. And so if you want to see water on the surface of the moon and you're on the ground, you might just be seeing water in the atmosphere of Earth because there's a bunch of water between, you know, the ground and the moon. So they flew this, this telescope up there and they actually used this instrument by Cornell University in Ithaca, New York called the Faint Object Infrared Camera. So it's just something that kind of bolts on and uses this international telescope. And they discovered um, a, a signature electromagnetic spectrum emission when hydrogen and oxygen are connected to each other, they absorb photons and emit photons at very specific wavelengths. So if anyone's ever looked through a spectrograph and you see those little kind of lines in the rainbow, that's what's happening. And so uh, that bond between oxygen and hydrogen uh, there's there's uh, this three micrometer emission, which can be between many different types of oxygen hydrogen bonds. But then there's a six micrometer emission, which is really just a water emission. And so that was the news is that they found this six micrometer emission on the surface of the moon. Um, and... They said uh, in the paper, we find that this distribution of water over the small latitude range is a result of local geology and is probably not a global phenomenon. So that's what the paper said, which is a little different from the first sentence of NASA's press release, which says, NASA Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy has confirmed for the first time water on the sun's surface of the moon. This discovery indicates that water may be distributed across the lunar surface. 
and not limited to cold shadow places. So slightly different emphasis there. It's everywhere versus it's just here. (laughs) (laughs) They said, uh, we suggest that a majority of the water we detect may be stored, it must be stored within glasses or in voids between the grains sheltered from the harsh lunar environment. So this isn't like puddles of water. This is you know, in the rock. You know, there's this Bible story of Moses striking the rock and water comes out. It's kind of that type of miracle level event to get this water out. Um, but uh, it's still, it's there. And so I think this is significant because, um, you know, for a long time, like Apollo, for example, you had to bring everything with you. And Uh, You know, I'm happy to see NASA embracing this kind of live off the land, in situ resource utilization um, uh, philosophy, not just as, you know, a a neat trick, but as actually something that they base their missions off of. So right now, because NASA wants to live off the land, they're really interested in going to the South Pole or the poles, because there's permanently shadowed regions there that never see the sunlight, that are always cold, and so the water can stay there for a while. Um, And, you know, that's great because they can have sustained operations, they can make rocket fuel and drinking water and feed their plants. But it's bad because it's hard to get to the poles of the moon. But now that they're discovering water at, you know, lower latitudes, then more transportation systems can get there. And, you know, a transportation system that can get to the pole of the moon can put more mass at a lower latitude, such as the mass required to, you know, crack rocks open and get water out of them, right? That's going to be heavy. Uh, Yeah, so what else they said? Some interesting stats in the press release. Roughly equivalent to a 12-ounce bottle of water trapped in a cubic meter of soil. So, yeah, but it, that's that seems significant. I was expecting something like a thimble full of water per mountain or something. You know, that well, kind of. Yeah, I, I guess it's all relative and subjective. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I like that analysis of it's so much harder to get to the the polar regions that you could then have more mass that could crack open rocks. I I, I really like that. In fact, I don't think I've ever understood the story as well as you've just told it there in terms of that that that's kind of what it means because it's like well surely you just still go to the poles because that's where the water's actually almost essentially ready to ready to get at yeah well and that's been one of the criticisms of SLS Orion and the lunar gateway is that a lot of these locations and capabilities have to do with these ground rules that the base shall be on the pole. Well, if it shall be on the pole, then, you know, what is the orbit of the gateway and and how much Delta V, you know, how much Delta V can SLS put into Orion to get it to a location where the astronauts could eventually get to the pole. So it's kind of a tortured path to get to the pole and we can do it. But, you know, when you look at NASA's architecture of having a transportation stage, you know, uh, like like Blue Origins National Team, you've got a transportation stage, you've got the ascent module, and you've got the lander. And the existence of all of those pieces and the capabilities that all those pieces have to do is very much driven by where the pole is and where the gateway is, right? And so now that we're saying, well, you know, maybe there's actually water around, you know, not necessarily the equator, but other places, then it allows you to do more things with less hard work. Yeah, have you got any thoughts about about the outgoing administration and what that means really for the whole architecture of Ar- Artemis, for example? Yeah, well, I, I I don't necessarily have anything new to add to the conversation, but uh, you know, I I subscribe to what's been reported, which is that um, you know the Biden administration is saying we don't want to rock the boat uh, on a lot of you know, at least the commercial policies, which they started before Trump arrived. Um, You know, Biden's, it looks like he's going to be more focused on earth science. But what I'm hopeful for, and I think is possible, is that maybe instead of a moon landing at the end of Trump's second term, there will be a moon landing at the end of Biden's second term, (laughs) which, you know, it's kind of the same thing, (laughs) except four years later. But he's looking. He's looking fragile now. I, I mean, 
<laughs> add eight years onto Biden's age, and he's going to be an yeah. old. He's going to be an old president, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, he might not embrace that <laughs> that concern. But <laughs> hasn't he, hasn't he, he's broken his foot or something, hasn't he? Recently, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that uh, you know, I, I hope that more money goes to Artemis and less money goes to SLS. In a large degree, influenced by what happens in Congress and not the administration. Um, so you know, we'll see. There's there's big forces at work beyond just. The presidency. Um, so, you know, I, I, one thing is, one thing has been established and that is that NASA gets paid more and more money each year, you know, for good or bad. And it's just a question of where that money goes. To be fair, I, I quite like the way that NASA spends the money, but it's not my money. So I don't. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they do a lot of good. They do a I lot do. of good. Yeah, absolutely. Is there, is there really no chance of Jim Bridenstine staying on? You know, he, he, so what's interesting is he's a politician, you know, and a lot of people criticized that when he came in. So, oh, no, we need, you know, administrator types, science types. And um, so I see it out of character of Jim to, uh, you know, abandon kind of his political identity as a conservative Trump supporter to, you know, kind of, uh, Big, big-mindedly embrace the bipartisanship of, you know, working for two administrators. So, I, I'm a fan of Bradenstein. I think he's done good things, but I believe him when he says no. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's definitely over, isn't it, for Bradenstein? I mean, it was over apparently anyway. But well, I mean, yeah. you look at Dr. Fauci, who you know was working for Trump, and he's accepted a role in uh, under Brian Stein. So it's not to say that that type of thing can't happen, but, you know, Fauci was a scientist. Brian Stein is not, he is a politician. And that's one of, that's part of what makes him good is, you know, his competency at getting support from, for example, Republican lawmakers. American politics definitely confuses me, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can yeah, kind of you can definitely see that Congress and and all those kind of things and and the way that they everything lines up and everyone has to make each state happy with the outcome. Yeah, yeah it's it's it's, yeah. it's hard, isn't it? It's just a very difficult. But I mean, I suppose it's equally compli- complicated when you look at something like ESA and 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 keeping all the member member yeah. countries of ESA happy is difficult. But. Well, and, and, you know, more on that with the states, the more that Artemis uh, is, the more Artemis that's done in Alabama, the, the more survivable the Artemis program is. So Blue Origin set up an engine shop in Alabama. You know, of course, Boeing has, has a lot of operations in Alabama. And, and that's because Senator Shelby is, you know, in charge of appropriations and, um so, you know, that's kind of independent of the presidency, but has a big impact, I think, on the future of Artemis. The Dianetics, of course, is in Alabama. They're one of the Artemis you know, teams. So that's the place to be if you, if you want political clout for Artemis. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and Elon Musk's moving to Texas, is that right? Yep. Yeah, we'll be neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right, so uh, November is uh, is the month that uh, that that Vega fails. Uh, SpaceX do Crew One Resilience, so that is the the first proper mission to the uh, International Space Station. And China launch one of the best missions of the year the the the, the changa 5 on the 23rd of november which i didn't realize that the orbiter is uh, has has got an extension of its mission and it's now sort of off going off to the sun earth lagrange point l1 which i didn't know um yeah drink to the lagrange <laughs> point <laughs> certainly so um malta it you're up you're up it is the starship which which was just so incredibly exciting. So someone has to talk about it. Before before I can start about the actual flight of SN8, uh, we have to point out that SN8 has uh, has been uh, quite an interesting pro- prototype from the start. So um, 
in in they, they of course all, all the um, prototypes they had they they did like aesthetic fire of the engines uh, up front, um, and as is tradition with things from SpaceX, something went wrong, um, and they uh, I, I don't know uh, exactly what it was, but they had a significant issue with one of the engines, and everything got delayed again, um, and then then they had this uh, this this big event set up, and people all over the world were watching. Uh, and they scrapped the first attempt at, uh, at the flight. My, m- <laughs> minus uh, one second, wasn't it? <laughs> two seconds or something. I, I think uh, Elon Musk, uh, drink. <laughs> <laughs> drink. <laughs> tweeted um, that uh, they had uh, an Raptor bot, I think they called it, where just engine issues, I suppose. Um, then the second attempt that was on the 9th of December was also aborted two minutes before flight. Um, I think we, we, we believed it was a range violation when we were like sitting in, in the Discord and typing, but I don't actually remember what it was. And I didn't find out anything uh, about it. No. Because I think everyone just focused on the third attempt, like two hours later, that actually flew. Yeah, they launched the thing. It, <laughs> it, it got off the ground pretty well. Uh, and... About a minute or so into flight, uh, one of the engines turned off. Um, as later turned out, that was intentional. A little later into the flight, they turned off a second engine. And then the thing seemed to hover a bit. It was probably still going up, just really slowly. Uh, and then uh, they did the next thing, which I think no one has ever done before with uh, something that's supposed to go to space. They, they just flopped it over and started flying it like a plane just to later try to attempt it again to land it like they land like their their Falcon 9 and to do that they they this tilting over they call the belly flop and then this the starship with its tiny tiny wings on the side becomes like an airplane and then it goes up again by 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 the, I think they both fire the engines to to help push it around and they 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 tilt the control surfaces um and then they tried to land, and of course, uh, not everything, it was the first attempt. Uh, everyone was supposed, uh, surprised they, they got that far, but uh, essentially what happened is that uh, one of the, the, the tanks uh, they added inside, like these, I think they called them header tanks, mm-hmm. uh, so small extra tanks uh, just for the landing, did not have enough pressure, and uh, the, the engines did not get enough fuel. Um, so, so this thing crashed. Um, the, the, the exhaust got a little green from that. Uh, turns out that the engine actually started to combust itself towards the end. Uh, also known as uh, engine-rich exhaust, what gets out of in, at the end of the thing. Uh, and yeah, that was it. Uh, super exciting. Nice big explosion in the end uh, that no one was sad about, which is nice. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of media bullshit, <laughs> yeah. to be absolutely honest. <laughs> yeah, they got it completely wrong. And there's this bad news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, what I thought was great about that entire experience watching it was that it was completely different to how every single render, every single description of what it was going to be like was like. <laughs> Because it was like it was nothing like all the sort of renders and things that the sort of three D animations etc. And then it was such new territory as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just how slow it went up. It was like yeah. it's just like yes. ba- barely getting off, just looking like it could barely get off the off the launch pad. And how violent, yeah, like when that first engine getting switched off, how violent the the way that the the things can move to compensate for that change of thrust and how quick it can move looks like it had gone wrong but no it's it's actually how much it can gimbal at the speed and everything it was incredible and, i thought and the level of the level of innovation there was huge wasn't it the, the you know when that first engine switched off you know most of us were like ah what's going on there yeah it's br- it's broken was- <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, like uh, it was, you know, it was, it was great fun on the Discord channel for us all to be chatting about it and, and share that experience. But also, it's just the, the dawning realization that they got it—that was all planned all along. Yeah. Uh, when you thought about it for a moment, it was was fantastic. Yeah, just the level of innovation foxes all. I, I can imagine. I can imagine the the public relations people of SpaceX that did not tell us that this was going to happen. Just sitting sitting behind their desk and laughing manically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were loving it. Yeah. So there was there was this shot of the smoldering wreckage on the pad, 
And after a little bit, they put in a little caption that said, great job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, the footage of Elon Musk the next day or the next couple of days later wandering through the wreckage i think says it all doesn't it that the fact i don't think it's it's hard to see anyone looking as happy and as smug as as musk was looking right then yeah it's so, it's so james bond super villain isn't it it's uh, yeah <laughs> I, I, I watched tim dodd's uh the everyday astronauts feed of it and and he quite frankly he lost his shit he went yeah. He completely lost it, didn't he? I, I, I'm equally. I missed the, the, the successful launch, but I watched it for the uh, the first one that's, that that shut down with a second to go. And I have never seen anybody more crestfallen. <laughs> <We're> closed down. <laughs> uh, what What was important for me about this is actually um, Starship is interesting and everything, uh, but I'm like in this this local rocket club here in the city, and all over the year we have not been seeing each other. And we, we are still trying to, to work on our projects. We even had, uh, like, uh, one of the student teams in the club had uh, a launch in Sweden with, with an experimental rocket. But we were all kind of lacking the together thing that we, we had usually. Like, if you're in a big team with a lot of people, it's, it's kind of hard to keep everyone on the same wavelength. And over the year, it got harder and harder to, to, to work with each other in, in some places. And what we were really lacking was was the excitement. So demo two and crew one and and uh, the the starship hops really really saved saved us a little there. And that's why why these events are so important to me because it it helps keep keep uh, keep keep us together and um, make. Like what? Just watching this together is, is is so much excitement, so much speculation beforehand. It's, it's, uh... And for all my grumbling about SpaceX, it's clear that they get that, don't they? They get the value of those yeah. those moments for for morale and enthusiasm. It's the most obvious yeah. distant, uh, di- difference, isn't it, between between NASA's SLS and and SpaceX's Starship? Is one is literally he's building it right in front of us and letting us enjoy the 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 success and the failures as as we go along and and the nasa one is just slowly slowly catchy monkey it'll be when it's it'll be ready when it's ready and it's like it's it's a lot less it's nowhere near as as exciting that's for certain and also blue origin yeah and blue origin are even worse than nasa (laughs) i was i was thinking about that when you did that interview about the uh, the recovery of the apollo uh, Uh, rockets the level of secrecy that had gone on there. I mean, maybe it's a different topic because of the, the sensitivities around that, but, you know, Jeff Bezos's desire to keep it all on the low. Well, it's going to, I mean, let's face it, we're all going to be insanely excited when new Glenn rolls out to the, to the launch pad for the first time. And that, that might be 2021. Is that when it's set? I can't recall. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, that, I mean, that'll be huge. If new Glenn rolls out and, and we, we watch a new Glenn booster landing, it's going to look absolutely incredible, and that you know. What's the, what's the payload on Newton? It's capacity? huge, isn't it? Someone help me out here. It, it's got a huge fairing as well. That's that's the that's the big advantage of it, isn't it? It's... Uh, payload payload to Leo forty five tons. That is. Oh, see, as the ha- and, and as the habitat go around here, the, the the fairing size is interesting because when you look across the history of accommodation and habitat and design. It's all fairing driven. It's all largely four meter diameter tubes. Yeah. So when when fairing design changes and increases, then those habitation uh, opportunities and inflatable technology starts to really get interesting. Yeah, and it says here expected to launch twenty twenty one. So that could be the big one, <laughs> the big one for next year, along with lots of other Starship shenanigans and i should imagine that obviously the the big booster that goes with starship as well the super heavy yeah so new glenn from shetland (laughs) big year yeah yeah Yeah. i need something more than a shed though yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah right yeah i mean we'll we'll be getting back to getting back to normal well that that pretty much sums up the year other than we haven't really done december the hayabusa 
mission return and the Changa mission return of samples back to Earth as well. I mean, that what a great yeah, missions of the year. Hayabusa yeah. 2 is the mission of the year for me. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic mission. And it turns out that it's absolutely brimming with uh, samples as well. It's like... Oh. <laughs> It's all over the side of the canister as well as inside it as well. So it's it's that's looking really really good. So yeah, oh uh, yeah, Hayabusa, that's absolutely incredible. We, um, uh, do we mention Osiris Rex landing on on Bennu as well? So mm-hmm. that will be coming back with with samples. I don't know, presumably at the end of twenty one, I think. So yeah, it's 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 been a it has been an epic year for space considering. And to be fair, it's been a brilliant year. It's been a brilliant end to the year as well. I think. Yeah, and, and this has been a brilliant end to the year, having having the spodcats on <laughs> for, for for good God. We've 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 managed to we've we've done it for an hour, which is pretty goddamn good, I reckon. Um, well, thanks very much. Does any does anyone? Let's go do a quick round robin of what you're looking forward to next year, John. Starship. Starship. It's going to be Starship Twenty One. Rob. Yeah. I, I'm clearly going to be lost in. Planning battles about UK space ports next year. <laughs> yeah, it it's going to be, be fascinating. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Marissa, probably a bit of both Starship and UK space ports. I think are the most exciting things for me. Bob, oh, fingers crossed for Starliner, a bit of ULA, a bit more Centaur, Bronson <laughs> for Atlas. You never know. Oh, will Starliner actually carry crew next year? Or is it um, that being put back to twenty-two? It's something ridiculous, isn't it? I think it's, I think it's a close one thing. I, I I I'd be pleasantly surprised if if crew went up next year, but I think they'll they'll definitely do a demo. Yeah, Malta. Uh, well, Starship still is the obvious answer, but ESA is apparently also planning. So it's probably not going to happen, <laughs> but they are planning to do to test new technologies, and I think reusable uh, rockets are among these things. No. Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong here, but are we? Is is the big launch really not going to be the space telescope? Oh my God! Is that next year? I forgot about that. Are you actually believing that it will happen, though? <laughs> um, I th- I, I think yeah. You know, the the big news is that that yeah that it, that that one is looking very very lightly. Yeah, the James Webb is looking lightly to stay on target. And it'll be absolutely terrifying. The James Webb is coming up. Really, this has because it has been delayed so often. It's it's not really been in the forefront of yeah. my mind. Yeah, thirty first of October, twenty twenty one. Less than a year away. A lot can change. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be about like the two hundred and fiftieth episode. It might be round about there, you know. So, Oof. could be good timing. Good timing. We could all hide behind the sofa together while we watch it launch. <laughs> You gotta go down there again. We need to get Julio to to get us all out to uh, Karoo. Yeah, I, I'll take my canoe. I'll meet you there. <laughs> <laughs> you better start paddling now, aren't you? Yeah, well, the, the, the crazy thing for you, John, I think, because Eric came out and um, he had to fly to Paris to fly there. Like, even though it's mm. like it's not that far away. Well, I'm presuming it's a few thousand miles away, but you have to go a very long journey to get there. It's mm. quite. Uh, Arduous, but yeah, maybe canoes quicker. Actually, you might be right. It's also Bolton. Yeah, I don't like going to the airports these days. You know, <laughs> yeah, void airports definitely. Uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a big hero out for for Bob, who's out there vaccinating people as we yeah. speak. Man, I was just gonna say that that's the big news for 2021. Bob's gonna vaccinate everybody. Yeah. So, 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 big up to healthcare professionals everywhere for 2021. Yeah, Bob, you are an absolute legend. Hopefully, in the UK, we'll be uh, we'll be pretty much done by early summer. Um, fingers crossed. Incredible. We're going to smash it. Amazing, amazing news. Your, your optimism is always welcome, Bob. Fair play. <laughs> oh, we've got to be optimistic. It's just it's just the if we can get if they give us the vaccine, we'll finish the job. And uh, so far, vaccine supplies are holding up nicely. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I've had it myself. I had a slightly uh, slightly sore arm, and I woke up the next day feeling like I'd just worked a seventy hour week, and then uh, I remembered I had. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <very> <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, yes. Well, I think we should finish on that note. Thank you very yeah, much to the Spodcats for joining me for episode two one seven, the final one of the year. 
Hey, Elon. To Elon. You're listening to the Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space. Mr. Yes. Chris Carney, as Hello. the latest co-host of the Interplanetary Podcast, it is your turn to, to tell me what was your space story of the year? My space story of the year is a fairly new one, actually, and it is by the company Made in Space, who have made their first ceramic turbine part in orbit on another 3D printing milestone. And I'm really excited about that and mainly excited about it, not just because we can now make things in space, which is going to actually cause a bit of a revolution in terms of, uh, you know, construction in, in, in off Earth. Also, um, it makes me a little bit angry because we still haven't sorted out 2D printing here. <laughs> like if anybody I know anyone who can get a printer to work properly, then you know that that's great. But you know, before we move on, can we please just sort that one out? But yeah, there you go. That's mine. <laughs> Hope oh, you like no, it. I, do, I, do you know what? I, I feel exactly the same. A, whenever I go to use my printer, it never works. And uh, George's school, he's doing A level DT, which is you know design technology. And of yeah. course, the school can't get their three D printer to work at all. So. Yeah, to get a 3D printer working in space is quite an achievement, isn't it? I think the reason why it's not working is because it's not in space. Uh, maybe that's there it. Maybe go. maybe doing this stuff in space is is easier than in a than in a modern high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they've got more money or something, but it could be to do with microgravity. Mm. So tell us, go on, tell us a little bit about, because I, do you know what? I, I have completely missed this story. So yeah, tell us a bit about this made in space. Well, it's only uh, reported six days ago from space.com. So you can check it out on there if you want to find the uh, actual uh, story. But the Florida, Florida-based company Made in Space, which I think is just a great name for a company anyway, <laughs> um, have uh, have decided, you know, that they, they want to push things forward. Uh, and so uh, Made in Space president Tom Campbell said, this is an exciting milestone for space-enabled manufacturing and signals the potential for new markets that could spur commercial activity in low Earth orbit. And it just really excites me, to be honest, because, you know, obviously one of the biggest challenges when we're getting something up into space is weight, um, you know, and uh, if you could save that weight by saying, you know what, don't worry about it. We'll make it when we get there. I just think that's such an awesome thing. Yeah. I mean, I I know Made in Space have done some pretty awesome things before, like make, uh, they've made fiber optic cable, haven't they? That's their, that's their big one. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, which is part of the plot of the book by, that came out after the Martian Artemis is it Artemis? Yeah. Um, uh, yes, which is yes, based around Zblan, a fibre optic cable and the manufacturing of it. And uh, yeah, I think I believe Made in Space do that. And and yes, it's yeah. so making it the first commercially commercial object that's been made in space and the only place you can make it. So this is a ceramic engine part. It is a ceramic engine part. It's actually specifically uh, the part of a turbine. Yeah, so it is. It's a ceramic turbine part, and that's also obviously the material is a, is 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 created the kind of a a hoo ha because it is a bit of a milestone. It, it will it will come down to earth, which is quite funny. <laughs> Just wanted to say that you can think it's going to come back down on a dragon. Um, but yeah, still pretty cool. But same commercial um, NASA last year awarded made in space 73.7 million dollars so they're definitely getting a little bit of a a, a, a brown envelope there <laughs> <Let's say. laughs> yeah do you know what i've always thought if, if you there's money out there to, do you know what in, in all seriousness there for any sort of like entrepreneur there is loads of money out there seed hmm. money from from the uk space agency to esa to to NASA, to, to, to loads of different places that want to give you money to come up with really, really good ideas. In fact, our mutual friend is uh, is part of the European Space Agency, people that decide who get, gets funding. Yeah, so that's that's part of the things he does. He's like, oh, that's, that's a good idea. I'll give it my vote and get a little bit of cash. If you've got a decent proposal... Just you can get it off the ground, you know. Or you, you don't need to put your own money in. You can, if it's a good enough proposal, you can get it off the ground. I mean, you know, and that's how all these companies start. Made in space, SpaceX. I mean, mm. SpaceX. You know that that is money that 
that NASA gave to them. Like for things yeah. like the Dragon initially was, you know, uh, NASA said, right, build us a build us a cargo vessel that can go to the ISS and, and here's a load of money to develop it. And that yeah. really is how SpaceX got their got their money and, and leveraged it up. To well, be... that kind of makes me, reminds me that, you know, we, we need to get working on the space uh, podcast from Low Earth Orbit uh, uh, idea because I think, you know, if we get a good proposal in for that, we could be broadcasting yeah. from, uh, from, well, from the ISS. After listening about um, space elevators, yes. I feel like putting a proposal to build a space elevator Space elevator research, it's got to be. I mean, that's the way forward, surely. Definitely. I, I agree. You know, and, it, you know, if we're 3D printing the parts for the elevator as well, then it's even a double whammy. Oh, yes. I, just a normal space elevator that goes up to an enormous 3D printer in space. Because <laughs> we eventually do 3D terraforming. Oh, well, I mean, see, see the 3D printer eventually becomes the replicator. And once you yeah. have the replicator, then the economy no longer exists and people can work just for the love of the job. Mm. But I never realised how much my space story of the year actually was linked to, you know, the paradise, you know, the prospect of a, a better world. <laughs> prospect for utopia. Yeah, well, it's one, it's yeah. one little step forward, isn't it? It's one little step towards that utopia. But a giant leap for utopian man. Uh, yeah, and, and it's very important that people write novels about how that can all go wrong so that mm. we can avoid those pitfalls. Definitely. So, so Definitely. That's, part of the, that's part of the journey as well. So get writing, you creative types. That's what I say. <laughs> Actually, you know what? If, if, if I was going to choose something a little bit uh, more close to home, my actual... Uh, highlighted this year has been hearing you and Jamie interviewing Professor Brian Cox on last week's show because he was fantastic. Well, it was just just amazing. So I just wanted to add that in here, like uh, well done to you guys because like, yeah, he's one of my heroes and just just hearing him go so in depth with all those things was fun. I listened to it twice. So, like I had to listen to it again to just like take it all yeah. in. He, he, uh, but yeah, it was what an amazing dude. What an amazing person. Do you know what? We've had some great interviews this year. And, and actually, you know, I think that was definitely one of my favourites, but, but there's been some great ones like Jim Al-Khalili, Catherine Sullivan. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like just brilliant. I, I really like Concanon as well and his, and his dive down to get the F1 engines and all that. Oh, that was one of my biggies, actually, just before I came on board. That, that interview. So I was thinking it was a couple of weeks before I came on board and I, I just loved it. I loved the fact that Bezos, you know, is doing it to literally to inspire the young people to, 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 to get interested in space. It's, it's just a, it's just a brilliant thing. Yeah. I'm, I, it's the best thing about doing the podcast that the people that we interview so many, so many great people out there doing really, really, really fascinating stuff. For reals? For real. For real. <laughs> Give my love to the Spodcatter on the call later. Happy New Year, old bean. Happy I'll see, New Year. I'll see you in the, on the other side. See you on the other side. The other side. <laughs> Au revoir. Au revoir. Bye-bye.